I'm excited about how technology is uh, being democratized, how it's plunging in cost. One of our missions is to positively impact one billion people. The relevance of a new technology to solving problems that affect like a billion people. All great stuff happens because someone inspires someone else to do something. The next wave of innovation is going to be eroding the territory. How's it, everybody? Welcome to 2021. Hope you had a great break in 2020 and that you are ready to take this year on with positivity and energy. These recordings of these podcasts were done during the lockdown period of our Exponential Africa live show. Hope you enjoy them. There's some amazing people on it. Uh, take a listen and learn something. Time to move into the main part of tonight's show, the Energy Made in Africa panel. In Africa, we have an abundance of sunlight to power our solar future because every five days, the sun provides the earth with, the, with as much energy as all proven suppliers of oil, coal, and natural gas. And how can we create new, clean energy solutions for South Africa and Africa by thinking differently? Uh, we need to th new ways to manufacture and produce energy and create an internet of energy, as we're going to hear from Arash, so that we can develop a new market for energy that will democratize the industry and create a flourishing new energy economy. Tonight, we have Ramez Nam, Arash Azami, and Marco Haing. Let's start with Ramez. Ramez is the Chair for Energy and Environment at Singularity University. He is uh, also a, a former Microsoft executive and innovation expert. Over the last decade, he's become a clean energy thought leader, speaker, and investor. Ramez, how are you doing? Are you good? I'm good, thanks. How are you? All good. Thanks for uh, joining us there in uh, Seattle. It's a pleasure. Um, and Ramez, I mean, you've, you've been uh, studying energy on a global scale and you've come to South Africa quite a number of times and you know the energy crisis that we're going through. Uh, what are your thoughts on, the, on, on where energy is at at the moment from a global perspective, firstly, uh, especially since COVID? Um, and then where do you think we're going in South Africa at the moment and, and what can we do? Well, COVID has definitely caused a hit to energy consumption around the world, certainly uh, for oil more than anything else, but also for power. Uh, but I still believe that the way for South Africa to get out of its energy crisis is through growth. South Africa has some of the best sun and best wind on planet Earth. And that means South Africa can have some of the cheapest clean electricity on planet Earth. And that could give South Africa an advantage in manufacturing other energy intensive uh, industries, attract more industry, create more jobs, and increase demand for electricity, which would help ESCOM uh, grow its way out of its debt problems. And I mean, are you seeing a, a big rise in these renewable energies since COVID? Well, what's happened is that COVID has really hit fossil fuels, and it's hit renewables, but tremendously less. So in, the, in automotive, for instance, uh, we've seen the sales of uh, vehicles overall around the world plummet, but the sales of uh, internal combustion engine cars have fallen relatively by four or five times as much as the sales of electric cars. In the electricity sector, we've seen in most of the world, uh, South Africa is not the same, but in most of the world, we've seen coal plummet while solar and wind have been effectively unaffected. Uh, and that's partially as a policy, but it's also because 
once you've built a solar or wind farm, it doesn't cost anything to keep it running where the coal plant uh, requires fuel. Now, South Africa has made some different choices and unwise choices on that to keep the coal plants running uh, and not pay solar and wind in some cases, which I think is backwards. But globally, what we're seeing is that COVID is hitting fossil fuels badly and leaving clean energy relatively unscathed. So interesting. And I also think it's not only about um, the technology. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, what, can you comment on what um, Michael and Arash are doing? I know you are uh, an advisor to Yellow. Uh, yellow soda. Yeah. Well, I think what we see is that around the world, it, it wasn't just making solar and, and wind cheap that led to their spread. It was often finding a way to financially engineer things so that people could afford them and could, uh, could afford them out of pocket and sort of be cash flow positive. If you think about uh, solar panels, solar power for a business, for a large home or for somebody off grid, it's all capital cost upfront, but then it saves you money uh, over time. They don't have any fuel costs. Uh, but so companies like Yellow are essential in finding a way to make that affordable from day one, instead of having to have the consumer spend a lot of money on day one and only get recouped over a period of months or years. So that sort of um, business model change and financing change has been essential around the world. And I think Yellow is quite brilliant in finding new ways to do that. No, thanks so much for that. And on, on that note, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, move over to Michael Hayink uh, from Yellow, and uh, we'll be catching up with you on the panel in just a moment. Uh, let, me, let me introduce Michael Hayink. He is the co-founder at Yellow, uh, a digital retail platform focused on delivering consumer products like solar home systems con to consumers in Africa. Mark is passionate about the role that digital business models can enable the 600 million people in Africa who live without electricity, to get access to it and the opportunities that it affords. Prior to Yellow, Mark worked in private equity, focusing on investments in renewable energy in Africa. Mark, great to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Mick. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I mean, we, we just saw your, the African Innovation Spotlights on your company. And um, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about your journey and how Yellow actually works? Yeah, sure, Mick. So I think the, the, your, your spotlight did a, did a good job, but essentially the, the problem we're trying to tackle is, uh, is what's happening in the rest of Africa. South Africa is a bit of an outlier, but in the rest of Africa, about 60% of households uh, don't have access to electricity, and where we operate in Malawi and Uganda, uh, it's between 80 and 90%. And uh, a very interesting thing has happened in the last decade or so. The technologies... Uh, that have you know been driven by uh, demand in the rest of the world for solar PV and batteries and uh, and LEDs and, and these sorts of technologies have uh, started a, a revolution of uh, distributed energy in Africa and that's now also being enabled uh, by mobile pay-as-you-go and mobile money um, payment platforms. Uh, this essentially allows companies like ourselves, as Ramez said, to, to finance consumers, allowing them to get uh, electricity in their homes uh, for the first time and, you know, at, at affordable rates, so roughly similar to, uh, to what they're paying for candles and, uh, and charging their phones at, at trading centers. 
I mean, um, that's a, yeah, that's absolutely unbelievable. Just so, so just in terms of uh, somebody can buy one of your panels for, for what, $5 or how, how does the uh, rental model work? Yeah, exactly. So roughly $5 or so a month. Uh, and uh, and after 25, uh, 24 months, the, the customer then takes ownership of that system. Uh, and then they have free electricity, which is pretty revolutionary. It's about 20 times more power than the customer has access to prior to having the system uh, at roughly the same cost. Um, yeah, so the, the, the trick is uh, you, you, you touched on uh, the, the distribution. Uh, and that's really the key here. So the, the technologies have existed uh, for some time. And what we found, uh, you know, the real challenge is how to actually get that system to the customer at a price that they can afford it. Uh, and we had, you know, a number of uh, fairly comical events uh, in, in starting the company. Uh, a lot of time spent sitting under the trees, uh, you know, chatting to chiefs and and discussing the benefits of, of solar power uh, and a, a lot of false starts. Um, the, the interesting thing, I suppose, as it relates to, to the rest of uh, Singularity uh, and the technologies that you often speak about is that what we've found to be the breakthrough for us is really in a, a digital business model uh, and enabling a network of, of agents through technology um, to sell these systems and to service our customers, you know, at the at this kind of price point. Yeah. So I just just very briefly let let's touch on that because that's really interesting on how you've gamified uh, and uh, this new type and you've created almost like a new business model for this business because you how does it work? You make a test, people sign up, uh, pass the test, they get to become a sales agent, and then in order to get your salary, you get points throughout the month. Yeah, that's uh, that's broadly it. I mean, we, uh, to be honest, we you know we we're the beneficiaries of uh, having lived in South Africa and and watched uh, Discovery uh, do some amazing things, disrupting the market in insurance in South Africa, uh, and they've gamified. South Africans all know they've gamified that industry in a in a very innovative and and clever way, uh, and we've borrowed a lot of those concepts essentially by turning all of our operations into digital processes. Um, you know, essentially every single thing that happens on the ground with our teams in Malawi and Uganda, that has enabled us to measure and track everything which goes on. Uh, but more than that, it's also enabled us to uh, put in place incentives for each and every task which someone on the ground does, whether that's one of our team that's installing solar systems, in households or whether it's one of our uh, team in the in the customer care department um, servicing our customers by having that digital platform underneath uh, we're able to deliver incentives to all of those people to create a, a much more efficient way of doing business than the sort of traditional top-down business model which is how we started it's just absolutely incredible. I think it's so exciting. Uh, Jed Mez, do you want to comment on that, uh, how you think this business model works quickly? Yeah, well, I think it's fantastic. As Mike's saying, like he's managed to reduce the cost of his channel by using digital tools to make it almost virtualize it. And I mean, Mike, do you want to say anything about uh, Exponential Organizations and Salim's book and how that influenced your business? Yes. Yeah, so 
So, Mez, that, uh, so, so yeah, the book, uh, Exponential Organizations, it was uh, quite a turning point for us, really. I mean, it came at a time I'd spent about eight months or so in Malawi uh, trying to, to work on this opportunity in quite a sort of traditional way. And at that time, I, uh, I flew back to South Africa and, uh, you know, after eight months, made our first sale of one of our systems uh, to the taxi driver on the way out to the airport. Uh, and it was really kind of tail between the legs stuff coming back to South Africa. Uh, and luckily, one of our uh, investors was reading the book at the time and, and suggested, you know, why don't we try some of these principles? And the broadly, I mean, the principles of exponential organizations uh, in part is to build a digital twin to, to essentially turn every physical operating process uh, and create a digital twin of that and then use that to run a really asset light um, uh, business model with really quick feedback loops uh, to ensure that the organization keeps improving uh, and keeps on getting the information that it needs from its customers as quickly as possible. Uh, and so really, you know, we, we just sort of had the opportunity to tinker around with those principles and uh, slowly but surely through originally a, a digital agent recruitment platform, uh, then a, a platform to manage all of those agents, now a platform to, to manage our operations teams as well. Um, we've built up a, a, a kind of overarching platform uh, which which really has changed the game for how we're able to get our product to customers. I mean, I, yeah, I saw the back end of it, and I think it's just absolutely incredible how uh, for every single task that you do, it's gamified in a certain amount of points, and it's almost like you're you're an Uber driver. You know, the more you uh, work and the harder you work, uh, the better it is for for your own uh, your own uh, salary. So, uh, well done for that. I think we are. Going to move over to Arash now. Uh, Arash Azami, thanks so much. Um, we've got you back. Bo Arash Azami is a Singularity University faculty for the Netherlands on energy, as well as the uh, founder of Common Gear, an R&D agency creating solutions for a quickly digitizing energy landscape. His main objective is to contribute to an internet of energy, enabling users worldwide to download as well as upload energy from abundant renewable resources. Besides his work for Common Gear, uh, he does a lot of work with the Singularity University Netherlands team and he is also a mentor of social entrepreneurship at INSEAD Business School in Paris and he advises the U European Commission and the Dutch government on long-term strategies for energy and digitalization. Arash, great to have you on the show. How are you doing? Wonderful to be with you guys and uh, doing well. Um, it's a very sunny day in the Netherlands, so uh, I guess there's a lot of uh, decentralized renewables production here also. And uh, I mean, you, you've got quite an interesting background. You, you grew up in uh, Niger, West Africa, right? I did, yeah. And yeah, I grew up in Niger in West Africa, so one of the French-speaking countries, uh, one of the poorest countries as it used to be in Africa also, with a very low ratio of access to modern forms of energy. So uh, today, only 14% of the people in Niger have access to uh, electricity, for example. Um, and that really has been one of the key factors in, in, in that, that inspire me to do the work that I'm doing today. So incredible. And I just love this concept of this internet of energy and, uh, and what we can create in the future. 
you want to uh, just give us a bit more um, of an explanation around the concept? Um, yes, and the explanation is, I, I think it's very easy. I assume that everybody who is uh, um, attending this webinar now is familiar with the internet. Um, and the wonderful thing with the internet is that it changed the entire world in a span of just 30 years because the WWW protocol was only written in 1989. And what it did was, um, as of the start of the internet, we are no longer knowledge consumers. We're no longer the, uh, the end consumer of something, like reading a, a dictionary or an encyclopedia. Instead of that, we're all on Wikipedia, and what we know we can share with the rest of the world. So suddenly we're part of this distributed system where we are not only consumers, but we're prosumers. And uh, what we're attempting to do with energy is actually is exactly the same thing. So um, we're marking the end of the energy consumer. Uh, there's no longer an end station there. We're all parts of that same huge uh, global interconnected system, and we all have something to offer, be it energy that we produce, but also balancing power. Also, everybody who has electrical appliances or electrical cars has some form of power to add to the system. And, and um, basically, the idea is that every node is valuable. Every connection is valuable. That's incredible. I would love to be uh, being able to produce my own energy as well as you know, share it and, uh, and uh, on-sell it to, to uh, the community and to fellow South Africans. I think it's really, really a great uh, concept. Uh, how long have you been working on this, uh, this idea? And uh, where are you in the process? Oh man, this is, it's, it's been a journey with so many ups and downs. And uh, so I started with the idea about 10 years ago. Yeah, 2010. Um, and I went on full time with it in 2015. Um, and at that time, I was asked by the European Commission and by uh, the Dutch government to write their digitalization agendas um, uh, for energy. Um, and I've been involved in the blockchain communities and in artificial intelligence communities. And it just dawned to me that the technologies that we have developed today, um, for the first time in history, are enabling us to actually create this global interconnected system where everybody is playing their part, um, but also where it by design it is 100% renewables based and, and, and it's all about empowerment. So one of the protocols that we're working on now is um, it, like the WWW protocol for the internet, for the data internet, we're working on the PTTP protocol which is a power transfer protocol but it also stands for power to the people because that's what it is about. It's, it's, it's about enabling and empowering people to, uh, to add what they have to add to the entire system. Wow, it's just so incredible. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's such an exciting space. Um, thanks so much for that. I think we're going to move into our main uh, panel discussion. And um, we've got a number of questions that are popping in. Um, let's start with one from Cezele, and who is asking, uh, care to touch on the capital outlay required for installing alternative energy infrastructure? It seems to provide a barrier, even though the long-term payout is significant. Uh, Mez, do you want to comment on that to start? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, part of the, the business model comment that I was making is that often you want to hide the long-term payout. Often the consumer isn't 
going to make a change, uh, energy efficiency, solar, anything like that, if they have to wait for a long-term payout. And that's because uh, it, consumers are hyperbolic discounters. So if you say to a, a consumer, look, this will pay off in five years, even this will pay off in three years, do they want to expend this money and not have access to it and wait for that? Often they don't. And that's why uh, companies like what Yellow is doing or Arash has done in previous uh, efforts of his that get financing to make it cash flow positive for the consumer or the business deploying it from the very beginning, it increased deployment of these technologies so rapidly. Awesome. Uh, Marco, what are your views on that? Yeah, I think uh, look, it's it's a it's a good question, um, particularly because you know it kind of depends. In South Africa, for example, uh, a lot of people would just look at a solar PV uh, solution, you know, to supplement the grid. And obviously, the capital costs of uh, solar PV on its own are, are much smaller than the capital costs of solar PV coupled with batteries which is typically what's required you know, to, to power a system uh, entirely off-grid. I think that the great news is that the, the exponential uh, improvement or the learning curve that solar PV is on uh, and has been for, for some time, uh, the same dynamic is happening uh, in, in lithium-ion batteries and in many other battery technologies primarily driven by, and Mez is, is the expert on this, but primarily driven by the demand for, for batteries in other applications, originally in consumer electronics and now in electric vehicles. So I think that, uh, as Mez said, I mean, the key is the getting the financial engineering right so that you do stretch these costs out uh, for the duration of, of um, the time that the asset is producing the energy. But also the great news is that these costs are, are coming down uh, at, a, at a really alarming rate. So we are you know, in the midst of a, of a revolution, and I think it's, it's happening a lot quicker than people might realize. No, it's super exciting. And Arash, do you, do you want to comment on this as well? That we're looking at now is that it's, it must have been around uh, a century, century and a half ago, that all of us... In, in the world energy wise got used to the idea that it is something that you have to produce centrally put a price on it by uh, usually by a company um, and then sell it uh, put margins on it and then and then there will be a consumer but prior to that um, if we're looking at the if at the history of mankind uh, prior to the industrial revolution we have relied on 100% renewables so whenever we refer to renewables as alternative energy we're wrong. It's actually conventional. Um, alternative energy is the energy that we've used for about a century and a half and we're getting rid of right now, which is oil and coal and gas. So that's alternative and conventional energy is renewable energy. Um, but the big difference is that we have developed technologies over the past decades that are enabling us to make such better use um, of these abundant renewable resources like the sun, like the wind, like geothermal heat, etc., etc., um, that we are highly effective with them, that we're bringing the cost, the marginal production cost of a unit of energy um, very close to zero. So as of that moment, you're not paying for, an, for a unit of energy anymore. You are paying for energy, but you're paying for the fact that you're connected to a system and that there's assets that you'll have to pay off. 
But besides that, the marginal production cost is zero, which means that that is truly liberating you because energy is a fundamental. It's more fundamental than money in our economy because every, every single bit of value that we're creating in our lives um, is actually due to flows of energy and due to conversions of energy. And, and so by, by enabling people, by empowering people to have access to this fundamental force that is, that is enabling them to, to build something out of their lives um, and to bring these marginal production costs all the way to zero is actually not only decentralizing energy or decentralizing the economy, but it's, it's, it is, it is, we're getting to a distributed society. So this is a very deep democratization path that we are following right now. And it's, we cannot turn anymore. Um, these are the cold hard facts that we're looking at right now. So, so, so yeah, the, the face of the world is changing. And this is also what I, what makes me believe in Africa so much because energy wise, um, per capita, Africa is two and a half times richer than Europe, for example. And, and so if you have access to two and a half more times energy, that means that you can be two and a half more times productive. That means that you can add two and a half more times to the global economy. And, and by granting these accesses, I really believe that there's a very, very bright future for this beautiful continent. No, thanks for that. I, I, it's so interesting. I never knew that, uh, that, that comment about um, alternative energy and conventional energy and that uh, the renewables, the, the actual conventional. Um, so that's super interesting. Uh, you know, how do, how do we do bring this to South Africa? How do we, you know, Mark, how do we, uh, you know, bring another yellow to South Africa? Or I'm sure there's a lot going on in solar. Um, you know, what's happening on the South African landscape in particular? And how do we look? There's, how do we there's plenty, plenty happening in South Africa in the distributed space. There's some great companies, um, particularly focusing on on the the commercial sector. Uh, you know, there's there's already a large fleet of of uh, commercial solar PV. Um, the, the trick in South Africa, or the tough part at the moment, I suppose, is regulation. There's a number of, uh, of regulations which, uh, which are making it difficult for, for the private sector uh, to do what they would be able to, you know, just from a pure economic perspective. So I guess that's holding things back a little bit. But, uh, you know, even on that, on that front, it does look as though there's, there's uh, some progress in the pipeline. Awesome. And just to follow up on that is a question from Patricia Gomez, uh, who is asking, for how long does the solar system last, uh, your solar systems? How long do they last? And uh, does the, are there batteries incorporated? Because she has a follow-up question is that the batteries are the most expensive part, correct? Yeah, so our systems, uh, the systems we sell, uh, typically the battery uh, on the smaller systems will last about five years and the larger systems about seven years. Um, they do incorporate batteries and they're lithium ion. Uh, and, you know, for, for our customers, the, the trick is really to get this product uh, as to as low a cost as possible so that they can make this migration from candles and, uh, and, and kerosene lanterns to true electricity. And so really within the time frame of those systems, our customers, you know, even before they give up, will already upgrade because, you know, they don't just want light and phone charging, they want what we have as well. They want TV, they want access to the internet, they want access to opportunities, cooking, etc. Yes, and um, 
Uh, we've got an, uh, another question here from Martha Warren, uh, who's asking, what are the recommendations for alternative energy sources in SA at this time? Uh, Mez, you know, we, 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 this predicted load shedding could come back very soon. You know, what can we do to sort of safeguard ourselves, uh, you know, getting our own sort of energy solution? Or going off I, mean, I think if thing. you're... Yeah, I think if you're a homeowner or a business owner, it is definitely solar. And you don't have to go off grid, but you can have solar as a backup to the grid to supplement uh, should the grid be running badly. And then secondly, solar plus batteries. Okay. Um, um, Arash, do you want to comment on that as well? Um, the, the, the wonderful movement that we're seeing here is that uh, just like with, with telecom and data, we're moving to the grid's edge. So we used to have the key functionalities of the system in a very much centralized way, but they're moving to the grid edge right now, which means that all the roles and all the, the functions of an energy system are actually um, uh, being brought all the way to the level of the machine um, or the, uh, the, the home scale system. So there's production, transportation, conversion, storage, all the way to use. And the more of that you can actually incorporate within your own premises, the more independent you're going to be um, of decisions that are made above your head. So um, I would definitely agree with with both both Mike and Mez. Um, go for solar because that's in the end all the energy that we can think of is a form of solar energy. So cut out the middleman and go for solar, um, and 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 try and use as much of that solar within your own premises, which means um, complete that system with storage. And uh, what other types of renewable energy sources are there? You know, there's solar, there's wind, there's battery. Uh, what are the sort of uh, um, different options out there? So the other options, really, the, the next one beyond solar and wind is geothermal. Geothermal to date has only really worked in areas that are volcanoes, more or less. It works well in, in uh, you know, places like and so on, but there's a lot of people working on actually taking the technology developed for fracking, uh, for producing shale oil and shale gas, and using that to make a lower cost, large scale geothermal electricity systems. There's also passive geothermal for homes and buildings, it's a slightly different thing. So that's a real technology that's coming along. And then the next ones beyond that are there's a lot of uh, efforts, or I should say hydropower is actually the, the largest uh, renewable on Earth right now, but it's sort of stagnant. Uh, but there's also efforts on run of river hydro, small scale hydro. And there's a lot of people putting effort into various sorts of ocean power, wave power, tidal, ocean current, but none of those has really come to maturity. Okay, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, we got a, we've got another question here from Kamlin Reddy. Um, and I think, Mark, if you want to give it uh, a first go, who's asking, Africa has some of the biggest cobalt mines and we're strategically located for a streamlined value chain. Are we aware of any storage business initiatives in Africa, specifically SSA? Um, well, I think that uh, I'm definitely not the expert, unfortunately, on this one. We, uh, we focus on on getting the systems once they're fully built to the customer, and that's enough of a challenge in itself. Um, yeah, I think you know, there's in Ethiopia is is one place uh, that I think is is uh, kind of on the cutting edge of 
um, you know, bringing more complex industrial processes into a place where previously that hasn't been done. I think that the the very uh, kind of complex beneficiation, you know, from the raw minerals to uh, to batteries is is quite a way off at this stage. I'm certainly not aware of of any initiatives, but I, I might I might be wrong. I don't know, Mez, if you've if you've heard of any. No, I don't know of any. I mean, I think if you look at other countries around the world that have substantial deposits of cobalt or lithium, you see some efforts, like Chile, for instance, you see some efforts not to make the entire battery, but you can go from the raw material to making one of the electrodes, uh, for instance, and have some value add. Uh, and certainly places like Australia are doing that, uh, but I haven't heard of anything really happening in a significant way in Africa. What about um, Tesla and uh, Elon Musk with his, his battery um, factories, his gigabit factories that he's building? Yeah, so Tesla just announced another you know, billion dollar plus gigafactories in Texas. Uh, they've got one, they've got more than one in China now. The world overall, if you look at just batteries, we've gone from Elon building the first gigafactory, now we have more than 120 planned gigafactories to be up and running by 2030. Uh, and that also means that these factories have to secure supply for elements like lithium, cobalt, nickel, and so on. So the scale of investment is just, just staggering. Very interesting. Uh, Rash, did you want to comment on that as well? Um, yes, I'm, I, I may try and do, do this briefly. So the, the, the thing with, with electricity is that it's very hard and very expensive to store, no matter what way you're going to put it. So the easiest way to deal with electricity is use it when it's there. Um, but there's, uh, so, so what we've done in the past uh, couple of years was we, we started with the design for smart multi-commodity grids where we're interconnecting grids for molecules like gases, like uh, uh, hydrogen, for example, with um, electricity networks. And, and the moment you do that, you're going to get conversion points where you're going to convert electricity into some gas, might be hydrogen, might be something else, might be um, uh, some acid form or, or whatever. And that is far more easy and far more cheap to store at a larger scale. Uh, you can even store heat. Um, it's very hard to convert that back into electricity in an efficient way. But if, 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 if your demand is going to be for heating or cooling, you're fine with that. So um, I think that we're going to, we're going to see a, a, uh, a staggering increase in the markets for energy storage outside of storing electricity. So um, uh, so that's going to be a market for conversion, and that's going to be a market for uh, um, uh, storing molecules. Interesting. And um, we actually we've got a, a follow-on question here around from uh, Silizele Mafika, who's asking: uh, Care to touch on the capital outlay required for installing alternative energy infrastructure? You know, if if we had to go solar in South Africa, and that's the best route, there is still quite a large cost uh, to to getting that. Um, it seems to provide a barrier, even though the long-term payout is significant. Um, do you guys want to comment on that? Or, you know, should, it, should you put in the investment and, and pay it back over time? What are your thoughts on that? Um, starting with Michael. 
Yeah. So look, I mean, I think that the the question is is uh, you know needs to be looked at from two perspectives. The one is for the individual, you know, whether or not uh, it makes sense for the individual to go distributed and place solar panels on their roof and install batteries. Uh, and really, there, yeah, it's uh, it comes down to what the what the current cost of grid electricity is versus you know what you would um, pay for the financed cost of your of your solar and batteries. Uh, at the moment in South Africa, if you just did that simple comparison, uh, it would be cheaper to to stay on the grid. Um, but in many cases, it would make sense to at least install solar panels. Uh, and substitute some of your some of your load that you you're drawing uh, from the grid. But I think that the, the other question, which is an interesting one, is also what should the existing centralized grids do in terms of their choice about what generation source should they use? In South Africa, historically, because of uh, our coal deposits, you know we we have grown up on a on a very very coal rich uh, energy generation source. It's something like 95% of our, our energy is from coal, and as a result, we are a very, very dirty uh, emitter. Uh, and we also are now suffering as a result because we have a number of very expensive power stations which need to be maintained on an ongoing basis, and it's hugely expensive to do that. Um, now, Mez, again, is the expert on this, and, and I've learned a lot from, from his work at looking at the levelized cost of new build uh, renewables versus the, the ongoing cost of just operating the existing plant. So maybe, Mez, you can give a, a more detailed description of that, but I think that's the key uh, thing for policymakers at least. Yeah, that's right. And I would say, so this, the levelized cost or the cost of electricity sort of you know, averaged out over the lifetime of the plant is a thing that people really look at now because very, very few people, businesses, utilities, homeowners, pay cash to build renewables. It's just not how it's done. Instead, these projects are financed. And so because it's financed, you have, instead of a, a big a lump sum capital cost, you have what is your monthly cost, if you will, and what is the you know number of units of electricity divided by that monthly cost. And so you end up with what's your cost per kilowatt hour. And in many cases, certainly in South Africa, that cost is below the fuel cost of loading coal into a coal power plant. And so that's the really disruptive moment. Um, now in South Africa, I think at the distributed level, financing is less available, uh, but I see that as a business opportunity as well in South Africa to close that gap uh, to help solar then scale at the distributed level, uh, but also to, to uh, build a robust business. So if you were an entrepreneur today, Mez, uh, in South Africa, you're saying you would go uh, into this, try get into this uh, distributed model? I think it's quite legitimate. I mean, I think in the US, uh, Elon Musk's cousin uh, created a company called SolarCity that then got bought by, by Tesla. And SolarCity didn't build any technology. SolarCity just went to homeowners who wanted to put solar on their roof, who before this had to pay cash. And so instead of paying thousands of dollars up front, we will put this solar on your roof for zero dollars down, and you will just pay us for the number of units of electricity you use. And on the back end, SolarCity raised finance to pay for those projects. And that business model has now been successful 
in Mexico, it's successful in India, it's successful in China. Uh, and so that, in a way, that's sort of what Mike is doing for the totally off-grid market. Uh, but for the, the on-grid home market or the on-grid business market, I think that's a huge opportunity as well. Awesome. Thanks, thanks so much for that. Uh, we've got a question here for Arash from, or, or Ramez from uh, Kiran Naidu, who's asking, uh, do you see foresee any return for nuclear? Uh, nuclear power is, is a great source of energy um, that we don't really understand, right? Arash, do you want to start with that? Who wants to go first? Yeah, it's uh, so the big nuclear question. Uh, um, so that, 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 yeah, um, if you're looking at it from a from 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 an engineering standpoint, nuclear is it's it's clean. It's you know there, there's hardly any CO two emissions. Um, but to build a nuclear power plant today uh, is gonna not only is, is it going to take you around 15 to 20 years to uh, to set it up, uh, but it's also going to cost you around $9 billion if you're calculating everything. And then still you don't know what to do with the waste. Um, and if you're looking at the um, at, at the cost development curve of, of alternatives to nuclear from renewable resources like sun, um, then business-wise, I would say it's never going to be a good decision because um, you're, you're, you're going to be outrun by so many other technologies that are on the rise right now. Um, and not only that, but if, if, if you're looking at any form of energy that requires some form of combustion, then there's a an energy return on energy invested that is below one. So you're, with a coal-fired plant, for example, you're throwing in coal, then you're putting it, you're setting that on fire, and then you're going to get a part of that energetic potential out. So um, let's say it's 70%, so then the energy return on energy invested is going to be 0.7. With a solar panel, it's entirely different, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. A solar panel is going to yield around 15 times the amount of energy that it costs to manufacture and set up. So that means that energetically also, I would always go for renewables. Um, so business-wise, renewables, energetically, renewables. Oh, thanks. Amez, do you want to also uh, comment on that? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not worried about the energetic side of that, uh, but the cost side, Arash is completely right on. It's gotten more expensive over time to build nuclear reactors. So where we have nuclear reactors around the world, we should leave them running as long as is safely possible because they are already built baseload clean electricity. But it's very hard, you know, the average nuclear project has a cost overrun and scheduled delay of more than 100%. And so it's just a lot cheaper to build solar and wind than it is to build a nuclear at this point in most of the world. Awesome. Thanks for that. Um, we're going to go to our next question, which is from uh, Lee Naidu, who's, gonna, who's asking, um, I saw in the news today that a new fusion reactor has begun construction. How long until fusion becomes mainstream? Fusion energy. Um, who wants to take that one? Well, you know the, the fusion joke, right? The great thing about fusion is it's only 10 years away, but it's been only 10 years away for 80 years. So we don't know. I've seen, I've seen fusion happen. I've seen, you know, there's multiple fusion startups, but nobody has yet achieved net energy gain, getting more energy out than you put in. Uh, and certainly no one has a, has a plan for how to get a fusion reactor at a reasonable size to be cheap, even if they do get that net energy gain. So we'll see. Awesome. Um, 
And then I think we're going to just we're going to uh, go to our last question, just for all of the panelists to to close out on. Um, just you know, what other insights or what other uh, things can we do in South Africa to try help uh, solve this energy crisis? I know we've given a lot of great solutions and, and great insights. What else can be done? And how do we? What what advice would you give to our, our um, people in power around how to handle our energy crisis? And maybe we can start with a rush, uh, and we'll end with Michael. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's a big question to 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 end with. One of one of one of the big holdbacks um, of the energy revolution in Africa is the cost of capital, because um, globally the cost of capital is rather low, but in in many, many cases in Africa, you're going to see interest rates between 8 and I've even seen 25%. Um, and as long as the cost of capital is that high, um, it's going to be very hard for, for investors to uh, um, get a good return and uh, for users to, um, to invest into solutions that are going to be lasting for them based on renewable energy. So cost of capital has to go come down and, and, and we'll have to find ways for that. Um, Second is that there's an amazing opportunity in Africa uh, because of lack of physical grids. So there's, there's no sunken cost dilemmas. There's no stranded assets um, that, that we've been heavily, heavily investing into that we'll have to get back first. Um, so that means that every step that you take in Africa is actually a major step forward. And just as, as, as Michael was, was so, I mean, I mean, I really love the work that you're doing because, because the moment you're bringing electrical light to a family, in, uh, to a family in sub-Saharan Africa, their, their lives change drastically. Um, and suddenly you're, 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 you're endowed with so many opportunities to make more out of your life because simply because of the fact that there there's a clean and safe and very cheap way to do something after sunset like reading books charging your smartphone read wikipedia uh, watch films on youtube and learn about robotics or artificial intelligence or whatever job you're going to be doing and and this is really changing life so i would really for those who are in power empower empower the africans to make their own because that will uh, eventually revolutionize Africa. Thanks so much for that. That uh, was really inspiring. Uh, Mez, over to you. Yeah, I'd say for South Africa in particular, I think you cannot separate energy policy from industrial policy, from jobs, from poverty. These things are, are interrelated. And though South Africa has a jobs crisis that is maybe even bigger than the energy crisis, and the way to solve these is in conjunction, which is to use South Africa's abundance of wind and solar to make electricity super cheap, uh, have other policies to attract industry to South Africa to take advantage of that super cheap electricity and use that as a way to uh, create more jobs and employ more South Africans. But that's gonna require not just building energy, that's gonna require uh, job training and upskilling, and it's going to require the government to have industrial policy and seek out these energy-intensive industries uh, that can employ South Africans and make use of the abundant and cheap wind and solar in the country. Awesome. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much for that. Uh, Mark, over to you for some closing comments. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, our expertise in, is in the distributed side, and in South Africa, it's it's fairly obvious. You know, um, making it easier for for private producers uh, by by giving uh, larger licenses would be would be a great step, which I think everyone in the industry is is crying out for. Uh, and secondly, the introduction of of uh, policies like net metering, which have enabled uh, distributed generation to take off in the rest of the world. Um, it's something which the country can do. It's got an amazing grid asset, um, and you know that that really will revolutionise things. And then you know on the on the grid side. Uh, people also forget that South Africa had one of the best independent power producers uh, procurement programs. The REAP, it was it was really world renowned in the way that it was carried out. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, bad news and bad press about the way that uh, the government has has done procurement over the last uh, decade or so. But that was a really stellar example. On top of that, you know, in the Northern Cape, we've got some of the best solar and the best wind resources of anywhere in the world. And, um, you know, with a really large and growing population, both within South Africa and in the region, uh, the opportunity to really become a powerhouse through delivering some of the lowest cost energy in the world through this uh, private procurement and, and from these resources is is a huge one you know and something which uh the government should really be taking seriously again no thanks so much for that i feel like we're talking we've had a discussion with three modern day nikola teslas uh thank you to our amazing panel guests uh, it's been really an amazing show and really insightful i hope everyone enjoyed it thank you for sharing your insights keep investing keep disrupting and keep evolving energy for all of us to have a better future that's all we have time for today. I hope you really enjoyed that. Please make sure to go and subscribe to our Exponential Africa on our podcast channels or our YouTube channel. Uh, we really, really would appreciate, subscribe and keep watching and learning and making a positive difference in the world.